Welcome to the Soulful Sound Podcast. This podcast is about celebrating the leaders, teachers, and coaches who guide fellow humans to connect, heal, and discover themselves so they can express their gifts into the world. I am Simone Niles, a coach, sound healer, vocalist, and author. Thank you for being here with me today. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Soulful Sound Podcast. I am joined by Troy Hadid, who is a yoga teacher, author, and social entrepreneur who is continuously excavating the human experience, discovering what it truly means to embody love and aiding humanity in realizing that we are far more connected than we have been led to believe. How true is that? Welcome, Troy. Yeah, thank you, Simone. Thank you. No one has ever read that. Oh, you did. Yeah, you should read it. You should read it. Oh, no, no one else ever touched that. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. Me. I'm so glad. Well, I really do connect with these words and the work that you're doing. So it's beautiful to be able to share that and to have you here. I really appreciate your presence already. Yeah, beautiful. It's an honor. Thank yes. you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I like to always start asking my guests really the personal journey and story. So the work where you are now, like kind of just give us a little bit of a summary of how you got into what you're doing now. Yeah, well, um, well, I just, you know, I do so many things and I try not to label myself or box myself into any one thing. Uh, beyond labels, I would say that I just, I liked anything that I do, whether it be teaching yoga or writing a book or public speaking or whatever it is, whatever I step into, I need to know that I am having, or at least trying to have yes. a positive impact and influence on the world, on people around me. And in some way, helping them connect to something bigger than themselves, mm. you know? And where that started for me, if to answer your question, I think that started from a really young age. And I think it started with two major influences in my life, other than my mom, who I call a saint, and my family. I think from a really young age, I I was just enamored by this individual we know as Christ. Jesus Christ, outside the realms, and I always want to see this, outside the understanding of organized religion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then there was this other individual called Robert Nesta Marley, known as Bob Marley, who had such a massive influence on me from a really young age, reggae Mm -hmm. and Rastafarian culture, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think those two things combined kind of, etched within me the desire or the need to make a difference in the world. Yes. And, uh, you know, at 10 years old, I wrote a letter to the editor. And uh, that letter we sent to, with the help of my mom, was sent to President Bush, Saddam Hussein, Mikhail Gorbachev. I look at at this letter now, and of course, the writing is not, it's terrible because I was 10 years old. But it often raises a question for me, at 10 years old, what what was going through my mind to make me even want to protest the Gulf War and global warming? Mm. And um, I just think from, from a really young age, that was instilled in me 
from many different avenues that I wanted to make a difference in the world and that I had the power to do that. Yes. No? Yeah. And I think that's a great nuance. Wanting to is one thing, but feeling empowered to and actually taking action on it is is something else. And I yeah. think that is, that's a really beautiful thing. And for it to have started that young for you, um, I had a very similar experience being around seven, knowing that sound and voice was going to be a big part of my work and my world. And I pursued it from then until now, and it continues. Um, and I never wavered. It really did feel like a call, one that I heard, but didn't need to answer especially yeah. when all the things around were saying, okay, no, the arts wasn't the way to go in studies, music, okay, that's a hobby, and all the things that I heard in all different you know, avenues. So I completely relate to that. You know, this feels congruent, something is important with this, and what can I do, and how can I take action on it? So yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that's really beautiful. Um, and so that led you then to think about how you can make that difference and how, what kind of things have you been doing as you started to grow up, grow older? What are some of the steps you took after 10? After 10? Well, <laughs> one decision I made, um, I think, as a, as a young adolescent, we're taking baby steps here. Yes. I'll fast forward a little bit. As a, young, as a young adolescent and being of the Caribbean as well, Simone, you know, um, that this carries some weight. And growing up in Trinidad, when I tell people that I've never drank, they're like, what? What? What do you mean? Because our entire culture revolves around alcohol, socially, right? And that was one of the things I think I, I took a stand on at a really young age and decided I'm not going to drink. You know, and uh, I think from... Every step along the way, they have certain things for me that I just had to push against. The things that I did not feel was in alignment or things I wanted to stand for, I had to represent that in, in so many different ways. I would like to believe that I continued, continually try to do that throughout growing up as an adult. Yes. And then when I came back home from university, I opened Trinidad's first hemp store. Oh, wow. So this wasn't a head shop. It wasn't a smoke shop. It was a, a hemp shop which sold products and uh, made from cannabis and so on. Mm. And I was not a smoker of cannabis and still I'm not a smoker of cannabis despite misconceptions. Yes. So, But I believed in the use of cannabis and hemp as um, in so many different ways. Yes. And then people would ask me, well, even before I opened the hemp store, they would ask, well, what are you going to do with your life? I'll say, well, I'm going to teach yoga. And they would say, well, do you do yoga? Do you practice yoga? I'll say, nope. But <laughs> I, I knew I was going to teach yoga. There's something within me, an earlier influence um, from, my, from my adolescence that somehow planted seeds within me that I knew that was what I was going to do. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that has evolved in so many different ways over the last 15 years into public speaking opportunities and, and, and motivational speaking and so on. And now I've finished writing my first book. And funny enough that at 20 was when I words came out my mouth that I was going to write my first book. The name of my book was going to be called Popcorn in My Pocket, which it is no longer called. But but I had this thing in my head where I knew I was going to write a book. I was going yeah. to be an author, a writer. 
And I'm really excited to see that now that has been my latest project. Beautiful. You know? So yeah. that's kind of like where I'm at at the moment. You know, I teach yoga, I speak, I love people, I hug people, I write, mm. whatever I could do, you know. That's beautiful. Well, there are two things. There are a few nuggets that I want to pull, but also kind of a kindred kindred spirit because I've never been drunk. And people always ask, like, especially in this culture here, they don't believe it. And when I say it, they're like, oh, no, we need to take you out. I'm like, you can take me out as often as you like. I'm still not (laughs) going to drink and I'm still not going to get drunk, though. I might be I might look like I'm the one that's drunk and having, you know, being high on life. But then I'm also the designated driver. So most people that know me well know this. So the kindred spirit there. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that you said is that, um, you know, like kind of this something inside of you or inside your head, you just knew. And I want to speak to that. What do you think that thing inside your head, kind of using your words, I don't want to kind of put other words in, in there. Um, what is that? What were you listening to that made you know, I am going to teach yoga? Do you feel called to use your voice and sound in a healing capacity? Learn how to use your voice therapeutically to facilitate healing and well-being. Whether you want to go deeper in your own healing journey or facilitate others in theirs, this training is for you. This online training runs over five weekends and offers theory, practice, resources, and support on your path to becoming a qualified sound healer and for your personal healing journey. Oh, well... For me, I had an experience when I was 14 years old. And I can only imagine that this experience is what kind of planted that seed in my head. But I always, when somebody asked me, well, how did I find yoga? How did I discover yoga? I talk about this experience and I reference this teacher called Mr. Gayadeen. And he was a teacher I had in school when I went to Fatima College. And every lunchtime, I would go up to sit with him and give up my lunchtime and go up and sit with him and he'd give me these books to read, these texts to read, right? And I all one of the first texts he gave me to read was a book called On the Teachings of Brahmacharya. And in yoga tradition, Brahmacharya is pretty much a teachings of sexual conduct and sexual misconduct, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not very fun stuff to read. Anyway, I always say, I always used to say that I wish I could make contact with Mr. Gaiadin again. I haven't seen him since I was 14 years old. Yeah. And a few years ago, I got this message in my inbox. Um, from my website, like a comment on my website. And it said, I think I give you the practice of Brahmacharya to read in 1994, Eskaya And I was like, no way. And I replied to him and I told him my story, where I'm at, and I got his phone number and I called him. And he kind of set my story straight. He still <laughs> does to this day, correct, this, this story I'm telling. He... He said, Troy, let me tell you, you were sent to detention. He's like, that's how you first came into my room. He said, and I gave you that book to read because that's what I was reading at that time. At, at, at that point in time, I didn't actually expect you to read it. And he said, you sat down there and you devoured it. And then you came to detention every lunchtime of your own free will to read more and read more and read more. 
And he now lives in Canada. And he says to me, you know, what is the synchronicity of this story is that you've been talking about me and my influence on your life for the last 20 years. But what you don't know is I've been talking about you and your influence on my life as a 14-year-old kid. He said, I now teach now in Canada, Ontario, Ontario, Canada. And how I found you is I was telling my class about this 14-year-old kid called Troy Hadid, and they Googled your name. And they told me that you are an international yoga teacher, and he said he couldn't believe it. He had no idea what had come up my life. And he says, look at the synchronicity that we haven't had contact in over 25 years. Yeah. But I've been talking about you and your impact on my life, and you've been talking about me and my impact on your life. And yeah. he's like, look at that. And, um, you know, I, I just think we have these experiences that take hold of us and they come to our life for a very specific reason. And not everyone listens because we let the voice of the mind get really loud and the voice of the mind often tells us what we are supposed to do and what we can't do and what we can't do and limits all these possibilities. Mm. And if we can just quiet that voice of the mind, even for a little, there's what I call the voice of the heart. And mm. to me, heart is, it speaks the resonance of God. That's where God speaks to us. Mm. And wh when that voice of the heart tells us what to do, there's no questioning. Mm -hmm. It doesn't ask, it doesn't ask if it asks how. Yes. You know, so I think that was that voice that came through to me. And I knew I was going to teach yoga. I didn't know when it would happen, but I knew it was going to happen. Yes. Know? Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. It was just working out the how and continuing to listen and see these synchronicities. What a beautiful story. And I love that. And it really speaks to that ripple effect that we can have in someone's life. And we don't, we're not even aware of it. Right. And yeah. I, in the world of sound healing, I talk a lot about just being that frequency so that you reflect what you want to be, how you are and how you want to be in the world. That's what's reflected. And that in itself is, is beautiful, you know, at its essence essence it touches people a smile uh, a laugh something and they go home a happier person for a split second someone's life is changed by one of the small uh, smallest acts of kindness you can think of and i love that story that he's also talking about you and the impact that you've had all of these years yeah. later yeah and you know on that note simone like we were both talking earlier about how from a really young age we had this the desire to make a difference and to mm -hmm. change the world and impact the world. And one of my favorite quotes is by a environmentalist called Jane Goodall. She's English, I believe. Yes. But um, she works for the gorillas and so on. And she says that when we ask, can we change the world? We're asking the wrong question. Mm -hmm. And she directs us to ask the question, how are we changing the world? Because the fact is that every thought, every action, and every word, no matter how small, is yeah. changing the world we live in. And we have to start to bring more attention to that frequency, that vibration, and that resonance that we are putting out into the world in everything we do. Because we do change the world. That's, yeah. not, that's not in question. The question is how. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it starts at home with ourselves, right? It starts at home with us. And I think this is actually a a good segue to something that I wanted to speak about, because when I first came onto your website, it was just very simple. Teacher, author, human. (laughs) And I was like, well, thank goodness. Thank goodness. And I'm curious now because we, you know, I'm I'm sure many people have heard that, heard the, uh, seen the meme or heard the phrase, we're a human being for a reason, right? We're a human being. So I want to ask you about that piece of cal- ca- let's say calibrating or alignment between the being and the doing in the world. Wow. Um, well, to me, being is, you know, being is a matter of attention. And I mentioned attention just now. Uh, our attention at any one point in time is the most valuable thing we have. It's the most valuable currency we have to offer anyone and anything at any point in time. You can't love someone without attention. You can't support someone without attention. You can't have a conversation without attention, right? Attention is it. It's more valuable than anything. And to, you know, we get very caught up in in this element of doing we want to get all these things done. And doing happens in the future. Doing happens in the future. We start to plan, check out these boxes that we have to achieve or fit into these boxes that society or people tell us we need to fit in and accomplish all of these things. But the thing is that you can't accomplish something in the future. It's not possible. You can plan to accomplish it. But the only the only time you can really achieve anything or accomplish anything is by giving it your 100% attention. And that's by becoming it. Mm. With 100%, there's nothing else happening. You give that all of your attention. And to me, to, to, to note the difference between being and doing one must cultivate a relationship to their mind. The mind always wants to be doing things, always wants to be checking off boxes. The mind is overcome by what I call the identity of Troy in this body. The mind is concerned with meeting expectations, getting approval, acceptance, the mind is concerned with how do I show up in the world? Will I be accepted? Will I be loved? Will I be supported? And because of that, the mind is always concerned with, with, with doing these things that we feel we need to do to meet someone's approval. But when this state of actually being is when the mind is quiet is when a mind no longer has that pull or that draw on us, when we have a relationship to a mind, and then we can actually be present in whatever we're doing at that one point in time. Mm. You know, does that make sense? 
Yeah, it does. It yeah. does. I mean, I, I completely relate to that kind of internal dialogue, the, the narrative, which is often built through the influences, conditioning, all the things that we've experienced in life. You know, the stories yeah. we like to tell ourselves. Um, I'd be curious because you mentioned about that heart resonance before, that resonance of God being in the heart space. Would you say that that's part of the being and the mind is part of the doing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what, what I love to see, you know, there's a whole chapter on this in my book. I call it Heirs of the Heart. Mm. And uh, I describe it like this. And I want to be clear because a lot of time we, we talk about the ego and we talk about the mind as if it's a bad thing. Mm. It's not. To say the ego and the mind was bad and that we didn't need it would to would be to call a human experience useless. Mm. So I describe it as this. A mind is of this world, and a heart is where God speaks to us, right? And God wants us to do his work in this world. So we have to have a balance between the voice of the mind and the voice of the heart. It's not that we want to shut up the mind. We don't want to shut the mind up. The mind is valuable. Mm -hmm. But but when the mind gets too loud, it's almost like a poor inter internet connection. So we can't download what, what spirit has to tell us very clearly if the mind is too loud. But when we, when we have a relationship with the mind, it no longer needs to scream and shout to get our attention. It can whisper because we have this relationship to it. I describe your mind like a lover or a partner or like a child. And if you, if you neglect your partner or your child and you don't cultivate a relationship to it, it has to scream and shout, sometimes rebel and act out and throw a tantrum just to get your attention. Mm. But if we cultivate this daily practice of listening to the voice of the mind, it doesn't have to scream and shout. Yeah. So then it allows us space during our day where we can actually download these insights from spirit. These, Because yeah. I do believe that, that God speaks to every single one of us. And it, it, spirit never stopped speaking to us. We just stopped listening. It mind just got too loud. Mm. Um, and I think that when we cultivate this relationship to mind and we can quiet in mind that this, this channel comes through for us to receive these insights or this direction or however you want to describe it, you know? Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that you, you spoke about it from like having a poor internet connection. So I had to scribble because I thought, well, if we don't have a poor um, connection, then we have strong Wi-Fi. And what would Wi-Fi stand for? And that would be, as I quickly had that, let's call it that download, wisdom, yeah, intuition, faith, and inspiration. That's the new oh, Wi-Fi. All right. Beautiful. That's like a beautiful co-design right there. I yeah, love I, it. I like it too. I love it. I love it. And yeah, and I mean, I completely relate. A lot of the times I talk about that um, alignment piece being like a revolving door between the inner universe and the outer world. Yeah. And that revolving door, because we 
we become that frequency. But as you said, we are having this human experience. We're living in this dimension where we have the mind, we have all the things going on on the outside, but it has to be that dance between so that you're constantly learning the new moves as you evolve and if, as life and the world evolves. Um, yeah. But that is a beautiful heart and head, mind, and, and all of it needs to have that balance, which I, you know, I definitely um, agree with. Yeah, and you know, there, you know, there's a teaching in yoga you have sometimes where they tell us, where you hear people indicate, put your heart over your head, ascend mm. your heart, descend your mind, right? Mm. But uh, I've come to believe that's not necessarily where we want to be either. Because I'm sure everyone listening and all the listeners have met people where they, it's like someone's in the clouds and you just want to grab them and say, yeah, get your feet on the ground. Yeah, we yeah. have work to do in this world. Mm. So I don't think it's so much that you want to be all up in a heart space either, but you want to have this balance and this balance is really important, you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I know you keep dipping into your book and um, I absolutely love, and you must tell me if I, if it is called, my name is love, is that the title? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I absolutely love, love, love that title. Um, and I want to know more about the book because everywhere that I've seen you, what often is coming up is the word love. Let's even just yeah. say the resonance of love. Even our very first interaction was that. So yeah. I know that you are all about that embodiment of love, which is very much a lot about what this book is about. Talk to me about My Name is Love. Yeah, well, My Name is Love was not always called My Name is Love. But, you. Um, you know, your writing journey has been so amazing, so amazing. But that could be a whole next conversation. Yes. My Name is Love has really landed and resonated with me. And in a nutshell, here's why. It's almost like we live in a world now where everyone's identifying with something, whether it be race, sexual orientation, opinions, ideologies, all of this stuff that revolves around our physical identity, our physical name and form. And all of that, as long as anything you identify with revolves around our physical name and form, we are creating separation. We are creating difference. We are creating otherness. And I can't identify with any of it. I can't. Because I think it's important, you know, you know, let's talk about ancestry, Simone, mm. because me and you clearly sitting here come from what somebody would say two different lineages, right? I'm of light skin, you have darker skin, but we're both from the Caribbean. But mm -hmm. let's not even go there, right? Yes. <laughs> and and I feel like even something like ancestry. We stop at one point along a timeline of history that reinforces our identity, be it African or Middle Eastern or white. Why are we stopping at that one point along a timeline of history that reinforces our differences? Why don't we go all the way back? Mm. Go all the way back before there was 
a white or a black or Africa or Europe. Let's go all the way back. Why are we stopping at that point in time that reinforces our differences? Why are we not going back to that point in time that makes us the same? Mm. So for me, the, the only thing I can really identify with is love. That's all I ever want to identify with. Yeah. Now, it's also important to acknowledge that a lot of time we're fed this flowery, hippy-dippy, rainbows and butterflies vision of love. But love is fierce, and yeah. love is uncomfortable, and love is fiery. And sometimes, you know what? Love is painful. And love means telling people the last thing they want to hear. You know, um, so it's important to look at all these visions of love. Love isn't this one thing. But to me, love is more of an intention. It's how are you showing up? What are we, why are we doing what we're doing? What are we stepping into? And that is where love really exists. Love is not so much any action but it's as much in the intention of the action, regardless of how uncomfortable it might feel. So to answer your question, what this book is, in essence, it is a lot of reflections and teachings and stories from my life as well that help us get over our sense of identity, mm -hmm. help us get over over this sense of I and me. So much of what we do in the world revolves around I, 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 me, me, me. And it's just a few nuggets of insight that, that allows, uh, allow us every day to move beyond this I and this me and just glimpse what it might mean to really love. Yeah. You know, and I, I believe for us to glimpse what it really means to love, we have to understand that we are not our physical bodies. And this identity is not really who we are. Mm. And the more we begin to loosen that hold of, of, of this attachment to individual identity, the more we can create a relationship to that and understand that is not really who we are, is the more we understand what it means to love. Beautiful. Mm. It's almost it's almost like it's essential for us to lose ourselves to understand what love really means. Mm. Mm. And I suppose a lot of the work you're doing is to help people to lose themselves. Really. Yeah, and help, help myself, you know, yes. it's an ongoing process. Of course, as, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, as long as we're in human form, it's because everything in our society reinforces the individuality. Mm -hmm. reinforces the I and the me. What do I stand for? Who am I? And we put all these labels on that identity. Yeah. So we have to continuously be looking at that ourselves and continuously reconditioning and reprogramming. Mm. The, I, I, funny enough, I said in, in the yoga class I taught today, I offered the, the consideration that if we believe in any existence, any existence at all, after we leave our body, then that points to what we are not. That points to what we are not. Because if there's any existence beyond my physical body, 
whether that be a mere resonance, mm. a mere vibration, then I am not my body. Because if I exist after my body ceases to exist, then clearly I am not my body. It's just a temporary state of being, yes. you know? Yes. And I know, I know for a lot of people, this might sound like space age, mumbo jumbo, sci-fi stuff. It's actually not. It's really simple. It's so very simple. It is. And I think we are, we are catching on, let's say, as um, globally with a lot of the practices that are coming into play now, um, but not just the practices, the science and research. You know, I, I wasn't very much into sciences in school, but we learned in physics, we learned about atoms and molecules and matter and how matter is formed and how everything comes together. But we also learned that that's us as well. But it usually stops there at a scientific um, point or perspective. But if we're vibration and we are vibrating beings, and this is just the form that we can see based on the, the frequency and the rhythm of the vibration that we are, then we are also energy and vibration, body or not body, right? And I mean, this is something that is now very much proven in science so it's it's no longer that wishy-washy it might be for people who don't do the research perhaps but i feel very let's say passionate about bringing this work into the world so people understand that i think science really is i want to even say and this is this isn't these aren't my words this is something that someone else said in a podcast that i resonate with that science is the study of spirituality and it's just now catching up yeah, yeah. It's They're just not. catching up, right? So we have to understand that there is a lot of research and grounded work, as you said, not just the hippie, hippie dippy, wishy washy stuff that shows the science behind a lot of the work that we do. And everything that I'm doing in sound healing, why is it that I take my tuning forks or use my voice and someone is feeling something without? Yeah. touching them with my hands, physical touch. Why are you feeling something when you listen to your favorite song? It's, yeah. it's vibration, it's frequency, and something is being touched. Well, what is that something? Even yeah. in just in the day-to-day -day lives, listening to something or watching something that touches something in you. And we all want to be touched, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I um, last year I recently, I went into um, an experience that's getting relatively popular now, but a dark room experience. So I went into dark retreat of absolute darkness, right? Mm -hmm. And not to go into that too much, but I went into that experience asking this question and I'll, I'll bring it full circle shortly. But I went into that experience recognizing that everything I know myself to be is in relationship to something externally whether it be an opinion or even my body, I know what I am mm. because somebody else exists. Or I know I am a human being because I'm sitting on a chair. Or I might be anti-vax or pro-vax because somebody else has a different opinion. But we define ourselves by world around us. So my question was, what if I remove the world around me? Mm. Who am I? What if I went into this experience of absolute darkness? Yeah. Who am I? And here's what I came out with. And I rephrase the words. We are our relationships. Not on a physical level. 
but on a level of vibration and resonance. And I was trying to explain, I had a podcast with an atheist the other day, and that was really beautiful too. But I was trying to explain to him that no one can convince me that I am my body because I know I will exist long after I leave my body. And he couldn't grasp that because, of course, he's very, he's, he's seeing the afterlife from the avenue of religion and heaven and hell and whatever that is, right? Yeah. But I explained to him that no one knows that. There's no way we can know that. But there's one thing I know with absolute certainty. And that proves to me that I will exist long after I leave my body. And it is this. The Troy and Simone cannot leave this conversation as the same people they walked into it. That is impossible. And no one listening to this conversation will end this conversation as the same person who began listening. And that is because every action, word, and thought carries a resonance. It carries a vibration. And it lands within us. And when it lands within you, whether it be negative or positive, it changes who you are. And therefore, you carry that with you in every experience you have from now on for the rest of your life and every conversation you have. I live in that conversation with your children and your grandchildren and the absolute stranger. So therefore, the resonance of my words, my actions, and my thoughts will for eternity live in the consciousness of humanity. And it will never die. Because as Einstein has clearly pointed out, energy cannot be created nor destroyed. I will live forever, as will you. Yeah. And the resonance of our words, our actions, our thoughts, the resonance of our relationships, that is who we are. And that will never die. Beautiful. Very well put. I love that. And understanding energy, then, you know, as you said, we will never die. You can't create it. You can't destroy it. It will continue. And, and that's, and that's beautiful. Thank, thank God for the evolution. And I want to ask you a little bit more, just take kind of backtracking because I think it's actually an interesting question. You asked yourself about why do we stop at that point in time, when it comes to ancestry, why do we stop where we keep ourselves separate? Yeah. And I'm curious to what that answer is for you. Why do you think we stop there? Well, let me first say that on one level, there is healing to be done. And a human experience is important. Yes. And even the wrongs, even the absolute inhumane wrongs that have been done in the existence of humankind, the only, I can only bring myself to believe and know that that too has its purpose in our collective growth and evolution, right? But I, I think that we, we have been told from the day we are born I don't call it a lie because I think a lie is told to deceive. 
That's what a lie is. I don't don't think this was a lie. I think it it was a misrepresentation and misinformation that was really never questioned, and people we just kept doing it. Hmm. But from the day we're born, I am told that I am Troy and this is my body. I am given an individual sense of identity. And every day and every experience from the day I am born adds to that identity, whether it be Middle Eastern or Black or whatever, adds to that identity. And we keep it's reinforced over and over again. This is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. And I think that we we look at that and there's a sense of wanting to identify with that and wanting to justify the wrongs that, that have been done. And all of that needs to be done. Don't get me wrong. There's healing that needs to be happen. But I think we have so been overcome by this sense of separateness and this sense of otherness that we don't even recognize it. We don't recognize it. It's almost like a blindfold has been pulled over our eyes and it gives us a sense of purpose to reinforce that individuality, to fight for something. And purpose is important, but if we, if, we, if we lose track of who we really are and where we really came from and what it all revolves around, and we, we become overcome by this sense of identity, individual identity, or what I, what I call the smaller identity, if that overcomes us, it can blind us to our bigger identity, our bigger sense, our bigger belonging, and recognizing that we really aren't separate at all. Mm. It's actually, it's not even within question. Yeah. It's just a narrative that we've been bought into. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if that answered the question, but... Yes, yes, it it definitely did. I mean, obviously, whatever you answer is what needs to come through right now. So yeah. this is how I like to think about it. Um, and I and I know, obviously, you were talking about this. We kind of started with your book, and this is really opening people to different perspectives and looking through different lens at how things are. So, what are some of the practical things, tools, practices, whatever word feels right for you that do you offer or um, help people with in order for them to come back to that place of being love and being that frequency and embodying it? What are some of the practical things you suggest people do? For me, Simone, the most powerful thing that we have access to is a breath. It is the breath. And I learned to breathe at 27 years old. I'm now 43. And for a lot of people listening, they may sit there and they think, well, I know how to breathe. A lot of time we tell people, breathe, 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 inhale, exhale, breathe. Sure. But for most of us, we don't actually understand how breath actually even works, the anatomy of breath. And when we begin to understand how breath actually works and begin to create space and time to actually sit with our breath. Mm. You know, there's a teaching by a yoga teacher called Bikesh Ayinga. He says that mind is king of everything. 
but breath is king of mind. And breath is the one thing that can actually tame and quiet our mind. And I have come to, I don't even want to use the word believe because believe carries an element of doubt. I have no doubt. I have come to actually know that there is a divine intelligence that is communicated in the breath. Mm. So simply by connecting and deepening relationship to one's breath, and cultivating time and space in our lives. It could be five, 10 minutes a day, just to sit and breathe. There is an intelligence that begins to come through in the breath alone. Yes. So if it's one simple thing that someone can do or needs to do, is to learn how breath works and cultivate time and space in their life just to breathe. And this is at the very foundation of of yoga practice as well, and of meditation, of everything, you know. The the breath is, is where it's at. And I remember once I I often talk about discovering this, this epiphany for me, that the word spirit actually comes from the Latin word spiritus, mm-hmm. and it means to breathe. And it just makes so much sense because the breath is the one thing that connects every living being on the planet. It's the one thing that connects me and you on two different parts of the world. It even connects us to people that walked, our ancestors that may have walked the planet hundreds of years ago. The air we breathe is the same air that they breathe. It may need to be recycled in the universe over a hundred years, but it's the one thing that connects everything on the planet, animate and inanimate, living and non-living. So it makes sense to me that there's an element of spirit, there's an element of, of divine agency that is carried in the air we breathe. Mm, beautiful. So go to breath, spend five or 10 minutes really learning how to breathe, getting that expansion in the body, filling the air with lungs. Because as you said, so many of us have an unconscious breathing practice, which is very shallow, you know, and and every now and then the, the body demands a deep breath. It's it's just naturally happens. Just, I need to take a deep breath. Why? Because all of the shallow breathing, the body, that innate intelligence that we have knows I need more of that life force, right? And and I talk about this a lot because my my area is, is sound, which travels on the breath. But a lot of it is really coming back to what we naturally know when we get out the way and get all of the the mind piece out of the way, as you say, they're not as loud. We know how to heal. We know how to resonate in 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 essence in our essence, and it's really just peeling back all of those layers. And a sigh, ah, it's just one of the most natural ways of connecting to breath, connecting to sound, connecting to the body, and a way to release. It's such a beautiful thing to do. Yeah, and I think one of the um, one of the most powerful things someone could recognize about breath, you know, I don't know if you have time to go into the anatomy of breath, I don't believe so, but for anyone listening, 
to understand that we don't actually pull air into our body when we breathe. That's not how it works. That it's almost like a vacuum. Yeah. But the more space we can create in our body physically is the more breath we can receive. And by more we create space, it lowers the air pressure inside of us, Mm -hmm. which allows air to move into us. It's a gift. Yes. It's almost like you open your arms to receive a hug, right? You don't pull it into you. But the problem is that we live in a world where we're so uptight and we're so busy that the body is in a state of contraction. Mm -hmm. Because the body is in a state of contraction, it can't expand to receive breath. So one of the very first things we can do is release physical tension in the body and relax and Mm -hmm. just allow your breath to come in. Yes, yes, beautiful. Allow, receive, expand, great words. Great words. And in creating that space, in creating that space for the breath to naturally come in, we and and for us to receive that, we also create space, let's call it outside of that, that example, to receive and you know, all of that. It's just that ripple effect that we were talking about at the start. Which is which is beautiful. Yeah. Amazing. So when does your book come out? When does your when does the name of love my name is love come out? Looking at October, November this year, so end of 2023, because it's um because I'm self-publishing. Yes. I've chosen to self-publish. You know, it's it's all on all on me really. So it's my first book. So navigating a few things, have an amazing literary team at my side. But we're looking at October, November 2023, and I'm really excited. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, congratulations. I yeah. I know that journey and I'm I have a few books in me yet, but I'm really excited for you and and my name is Love. I mean, it's beautiful. I do have um a question for you that I think um it's just lingering at the back based on a lot of what you shared and you spoke about relationship. You spoke about relationship with obviously to yourself, but then to other being this is what it really is. We learn about us, we learn about we evolve, we move through that interaction, through that relationship. Um, And I just want to know a little bit about you, relationships. How have you maneuvered relationships in your life so far, whichever relationships feel pertinent to speak about? And if there are any nuggets that you can bring in specifically around relationship with others, because obviously we know it starts at home or maybe not so obvious for everyone, but we know it starts from home and us. But what about that interaction and relationship with others? Well, I would say um, I would say two things that I think are really, really important. And I'll cite a quote I have on my hand. It says, "I have not come to teach; I have come to love, mm. and love will teach." And I think in our relationships, a lot of the time we want to show people, teach people. It's almost like while we're not trying to be judgmental, we come from a space of being. You know, just trying to come at people hard and get people to change their ways or whatever it is. And sometimes all we need to do is love someone, Mm. make someone feel supported and held. And a lot of times that change happens on its own. So we need to be careful in our relationships not to 
create this sense of judgment, even that might not be our intention. A lot of time, that's how we vibration comes across. And the other thing that is essential to understand is we are all conditioning. All of us are conditioning. And when we when we can see someone as conditioning, then when we when we acknowledge things about someone we might want to change or impact or things we might have a problem with, rather than saying that is Simone, Simone did this to me, Simone is this. Mm. We understand, well, Simone didn't do that. That's not actually Simone. That's her conditioning that may have done that. That's a conditioning that I may have resistance to. It's not actually who she is, you know? And if we have any desire to help someone reprogram or recondition, the very first thing we have to do is create a safe space. Make them feel safe to do that. Make them feel loved and supported. And I always say that for me, that we talk a lot about privilege in our world and we have all these different privileges. The largest privilege, the most powerful privilege is that of love, Mm -hmm. is that of knowing what love is, knowing what safety is, Mm -hmm. knowing what security is. And we take that for granted. And that is the greatest thing we can offer anyone in any relationship. Yeah. no matter what that is. And it's important to say that sometimes that love means saying no. Sometimes that love means walking away and drawing our boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. It's not always a love that feeds into something and says, yes, 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 all the time. Yeah, you know? for sure. I mean, I, I think it's seven, Any anyone who watches this podcast that's Greek might say seven or more, but I think there's seven words for love in the Greek language for that purpose, that there is there is the the, the, all of them coming together to be love. But that recognition of divine love, romantic love, whatever those different words are. But what I really in what I really um, I'll just share a little bit about an experience that I've had um, in some of my relating and my interactions, love is a very big word for me as well. So I have to say, it's definitely what attracted me to you in this at the start. I was like a conversation about love for sure. I, I work a lot with three words, love, growth and service. And I often talk about wearing the lens of love in every interaction where my students, clients, friends, family, children, everyone feels loved, whatever love that might feel for them. That's what it is. And so going into more a relationship side of things with like if I'm when I was dating or, you know, meeting men and, you know, seeing what's possible, I also went in with that lens of love. Doesn't matter whether this becomes something or it doesn't become something. And what I found interesting in my reflection is, and this is not to gloat or or any of those things, but a lot of the time I found, wow, a lot of men are what they feel falling in love very quickly. It's like, I love you. I love you. I love you. And then I, in my reflection of that, I thought to myself, okay, I understand what's happening here. 
they feel the reflection of love. They feel my being an essence of love. That's, that is something that I emanate in all of my interactions and relationships. And therefore they felt love. And that love, I became the object of that love where it's, that wasn't the truth. It was just the reflection. And it was beautiful to recognize that because like, like we all know, we're all love. We all want to experience love, but by being that and coming from that place of love, loving, like you said, with boundaries, with all the other things that are important, but fundamentally coming with that frequency of love is really powerful, potent and felt. And I was able to say, I'm so glad that you feel that love. It's not, I don't think it's about me though, but I really appreciate that that's what you're reflecting back to me. And I hope that you can find that in yourself. And of course, then explore that with whoever might've been right for them if it wasn't me and so on and so forth. Yeah. But I found it was a really beautiful reflection that in yeah. a lot of my interactions, even in those with strangers, just getting to know someone that they would have that feeling of, oh, I love this person immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Now, here's um, writing on that. Here's a, a reflection that you might connect to. I think you'll really appreciate. So in a book I propose, I know this is hard for some people, so people might want to sit down and, and soak <laughs> this in for a little bit, right? I propose that there's nowhere in a world that love does not exist. Yeah. It is the very essence. It is like God. It is inseparable from spirit. It exists everywhere, even in what appears as the darkest aspects of our society. And I say that very cautiously, right? Yeah. Because there are some, a lot of pain and suffering in the world we live in. Yes. But I propose that rather than asking question, what is love? and what is not love, that we ask a question, what is being loved? Yeah. Because in any moment, there is love. Sometimes it might be the love of power, the love of greed, the love of desire. It might be the love of, of inflicting pain on someone. It might be love of service. But there's always love. And if we were to ask ourselves in this moment, what is being loved? What am I loving? And I think when it comes to romantic relationships, what we find is someone not madly in love with their partner, but they're madly in love with what that relationship provides for them. Mm -hmm whether it be security or how it makes them feel or whatever that is. And, and that, of course, expands way beyond romantic relationship. Sure. But I think if we ask that question, what is being loved? Um, it opens up a whole new door because then we can even acknowledge and pinpoint the selfish and self-serving aspects of love. Yes. And then we can then look to morph that and expand it outwardly to be of service, you know? Yeah, and, and really, I mean, there is a, a presupposition, this statement that I work with a lot with clients, if you presuppose it to be true, behind every 
behavior is a positive intention. And that's also quite a hard one to swallow, like you said, with everything going on in the world today. And I talk about this because it's very much what you're saying, which is, I don't know, someone who's in a hard relationship, an abusive relationship, and that person is being violent towards you. The behavior is not great. We know this. It's something that needs to be looked at. It's something that needs to be addressed and so on and so forth. But the intention is, I want to feel powerful. I want to feel in charge. I want to be the authority and all of these things. So someone who goes and beats someone else to feel that, someone else can go into business and feel powerful and feel like they're the authority and have a completely different experience and and behavior. But the need or the intention that they want met is still a positive one for them. And I think in relationship, I often teach to separate the behavior. So when someone does or says or behaves in a way that's not nice or not great, what is it behind the curtain that is actually, like you said, it's who are you loving or what are you loving? And I think exactly. it's it's very I, I completely relate to that. Um, and yeah, beautiful, beautiful way, nuanced yeah. way of expressing it. So amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's so much love here. I'm sure everyone can feel it. And um, yes, I just probably go on for hours. I know, yeah. I know. And I think we're gonna have to have a part two at some point, maybe when your book is out again. Yeah. Um, but I do wanna just say thank you, Troy. I really appreciate you and the work you're doing. I celebrate you and I think helping people to embody love is it is a privilege and it is a beautiful gift and so continue to take those steps and do the beautiful work that you are doing as you reflect your being into the world because it's beautiful and i am just honored to have you here on this amazing platform and to share you with my awesome community oh your honor is mine and i feel the exact same and um i can't wait to be back i can't wait to be yes and you know, I shout out to your listeners. They are really lucky um, to be tuned in to you and keep doing what you're doing as well. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Now, I ask all of my guests one question at the end that everyone answers, and that is... Ah, I'm in the hot is, seat. Yeah, you're in the hot seat. <laughs> what is your soulful sound to the world, a self-prayer or desire that you wish upon the world? I would wish that we can begin to see ourselves beyond our individual identity. We can begin to see each other as an aspect of God, as an aspect of ourselves. Because imagine if you had every conversation, every mindless interaction, every conflict, every argument, every interaction, everything you ever laid your eyes on, if you saw an element of God, Mm. how different we would live our lives. And on that note, thank you so much. Thank you, Simone. Love. So much love. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to share it with your friends and remember to subscribe. From my heart to yours, sending you love, healing, and sound wherever you are.